God, we come to you today just celebrating the fact that you are the one who never leaves one behind. You're the one who draws us all to yourself. And God, I, I thank you today that as the God of creation, we have the opportunity to celebrate you. We have the opportunity to worship you. And I pray that as we continue to worship now, that we might allow our hearts to be drawn together with people literally around the world who see you in all of your glory, who see you in all of your beauty, who understand you in all of your power. God, we want to lift up your name in praise. We want to, we want to be a part of that crowd, a part of that throne that recognizes you for who you are. God, I thank you that you are glorious. I thank you that you are magnificent. I thank you that you are the great creator of heaven and earth. And God, we celebrate you today. We worship you today. And thank you that your word is true. And thank you that your word draws us into your presence and draws us to celebrate you now. And we continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to join me again today and take your Bible and open it up to Psalm 104. Psalm 104 as we continue to just celebrate and glorify the wonder and the majesty of the Lord. <clears throat> my mother's dad, my maternal grandfather, <clears throat> worked for the civil service in World War II. He was too old when the war started <clears throat> to be drafted into the service, but he was a me mechanic, a good mechanic, and so <clears throat> he, he went to work for a civil service, first of all, in Port Arthur, Texas, where he worked on airplanes and kept airplanes flying for the military. Then he finished up his, his uh, term of duty at Brookley Air Base in Mobile, Alabama. And after he retired from civil service, he came back to our hometown and managed the home farm uh, that I grew up around in South Alabama. Uh, he loved the outdoors. He, he loved to hunt. He loved to fish. And he loved to get his fingers in the dirt. He loved farming. And that was just a part of life as I grew up and observed that about him. One of the things about my grandfather that was so intriguing, he was a fox hunter. Now, his version of fox hunting <clears throat> was to, to buy dogs who were noisy and loud. And uh, he would come in from working in the daytime and he would enjoy a, a, a supper meal. And then a few hours after dark, he would put his dogs on the back of his truck and he would go out in the woods and he would turn the dogs loose so the dogs could run after the fox. And he would climb up on the back of his pickup truck where the, the, the dog crate was and he would prop back and he would just listen to the beautiful music in his ears of dogs running a fox. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if that lights your fire or not. I don't know if that fires you up or not. But I know from my grandfather, that was a passion of his. Uh, he loved to go out and listen to his dogs run after the fox. And as he sat there on the back of his pickup truck, and often he would take my brothers and me with him to enjoy this experience 
uh, and, and he enjoyed it a whole lot more than we did. But often he would be uh, sitting on the back of his truck with his head propped up, and he would be looking up into the sky, and he would begin to name some of the celestial bodies in, in the sky. Uh, his, his knowledge of astrology was probably not very scientific. I mean, he would point at, uh, at, at different kinds of uh, formations in the sky. He would say, look, boys, there's the Big Dipper. Says, look, boys, there's the Little Dipper. I mean, and he, over and over again, we would hear him just enjoying the outdoors, enjoying the nature. Again, his understanding was very basic. But he loved, he had a passion about just looking at God's creation. Now, although there's, uh, there's no superscript to Psalm 104, I like to assign this psalm to David because it's so much like Psalm 103 before it, which does have a superscript assigning it uh, to David, and it starts off in the same kind of language. Can, can you imagine with me, David, as a shepherd boy? having the same kind of experience that my grandfather had out when he was watching his sheep, watching over his sheep at nighttime, looking up in the skies and just seeing the handiwork of God in the skies. In the daytime, he, he watched his sheep as they went about the, the normal activity of a sheep. He watched the, the glory of God, the nature of God taking place in the, the nature of uh, the daylight hours. I trust that you take time to have experiences like that. I trust that you call time out sometimes from the hubbub of life, the rush of life, the busyness of life, the duties of life that we think are so important. And you just take time to experience the glory of God in the world that He's put us in, the nature around us. I trust that you take time to let your life, your body, your experience on this earth take some breaths and enjoy the, the wonderful nature that God has created. Why does this matter? Why does, why does Psalm 104 matter? As we begin to unfold this psalm today and finish it up next week, we're going to see that, that God is amazing. There is nothing created, nothing in any of the universe that's more amazing than God. And it's awesome for us to take time to uh, acknowledge the one who spoke the universe into being. I mean, you've seen these images of creation, the billions of stars and planets and celestial beings out there, the, the wonder and the glory of the daylight hours that we can see. You've, you've acknowledged that. But the psalmist calls us to go to a deeper level and ask the question, why does this matter? Why does it matter that we, we take time to give glory to God? Well, in Psalm 104, we join the psalmist and give thanks to God for His greatness. We give thanks to God and we lift up a song of praise glorifying our Creator. I trust that you take time to do that every day. 
I trust that you've taken time to do that today because Psalm 104 sets the stage for us to have a real life experience and relate to Creator God Himself. As I said, we're going to look today at the first four expressions of God's greatness, and then next Sunday, we're going to look at the last three. So let's begin today with the first expression of God's greatness. Our great God created light. On day one, God created light. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 104. Psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. So the psalmist begins, as he did in Psalm 103, speaking to his own soul. Now, let me just say briefly today, we're going to get into this a little deeper next week, but when God created you, He created more than just your body. You were created with a soul, and that soul is the part of you that, you know, if a surgeon opens you up and and looks inside, he's not going to see your soul. Your soul is that part of you that relates most directly to God, and it's eternal. Your soul will last forever. And that's significant. And so the psalmist opens up and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The very nature of the psalmist draws him, attracts him to God in his deepest inmost being, his soul. He says, O Lord, my God, you are very great. He acknowledges the fact that, that God is greater than everything that God created. Have you recognized that today? Have you recognized that that God is greater than everything that you experience, everything that He created that you can relate to? God affirmed the understanding, or the psalmist uh, affirmed the understanding that God is clothed with splendor and majesty. Splendor means that He was created, uh, God was not created, He He is to be observed and worshipped as one whom we are attracted to. We can't help but acknowledge who God is and be attracted to Him. Like a magnet is created to, to, to metal, is attracted to metal. God is magnetically attractive. And you're attracted to Him and to His beauty. You're attracted to Him because He's holy. I pray that you experience that kind of attraction to God every day of your life. If you've never experienced that, I pray that today will be the day when that begins to happen. And we're going to see the psalmist explains how that can happen. Just like my grandfather was attracted to God by gazing into the night at the starlight. And by listening to nature around him take place. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of God's glory and God's brilliance. You know how you're attracted to things that are glorious, things that are beautiful, things that are attractive? Multiply that by a billion, and you see the work of God and how you're attracted to Him through His work. Now, there are two kinds of revelation in 
our lives. There's the general revelation that we have, and there's a special revelation that we have. General revelation is universal. In, in Romans chapter 1, the writer of Romans discusses the fact that nature itself shines the light on the existence of God. In other words, we're without excuse for recognizing the fact that God is who He is and that He has created all that we know and all that we are. The psalmist rightly referenced that God separated light from darkness on the first day of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bible and want to turn there, Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, says this. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. It's significant that the psalmist acknowledged that God is covered with light. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the writer of Corinthians specifically relates God being wrapped in light to God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God's Son. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So God sent Jesus to burst forth into the darkness of this world and offer light to overcome the darkness of this world. Now, Darkness and light have a literal meaning. They also are symbolic. See, creation began with light bursting through the darkness. God did that. He separated light from darkness. But in the New Testament, we learn that creation is restored by Jesus, who is the light of the world. And so the only way you can join the psalmist and give glory to God is by being transformed by the light of the world, being transformed, changed by Jesus. Jesus is the greatness of the God of light. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is only found in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I have to ask you this morning, do you know him? Is your relationship with God one of just observing nature and enjoying the creation that God created for you and me? Or are you walking in the light of the presence of God today because you know Jesus? See, generations before Jesus, the psalmist gave glory to God and he walked in the light as he knew it. But today you can walk in the light as you give glory to God, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, who is the light of the world. Without walking with God, you're actually walking in darkness. Now, here's why that matters. 
See, people stumble around walking in darkness. You can't see potholes. You can't see traps that are out there before you when you're walking in darkness. That's true physically, but it's also true spiritually. Deception happens in the darkness. Um, some of you are aware that we have a little Dotson, 17 years old. When I take him out to walk like I did this morning, it's still dark. And so when I go out in the darkness, I put on a reflective vest because I live in the city. And people driving up and down my street sometimes are crazy. And I want them, you know, not to do something bad to me or my dog. If you go into a jewelry store and you want to look at diamonds, the jeweler will, will, will take a black cloth and put out over a shelf and he'll lay the diamonds on top, of the, on top of the black cloth and he'll take the brightest light that he has and he will shine that bright light on the diamond so all the facets of the diamond will sparkle and, and jump out to be observed. If you go to an art gallery, they don't put beautiful art pictures in dark places. They hang them where a light shines on them and all of the beauty, all the dynamics of that piece of art can be drawn out under the light. And the psalmist was observing the fact that that's what happens with, with God. God is wrapped in, in light. When you come to know God, the best way you can possibly know Him through His Word and through His creation, God shines forth in all of His brilliance, all of His uh, beauty, so you can observe Him for who He is. And that light is most perfectly expressed through His Son, who became flesh, and came to this earth to live and die for you and me. So the psalmist accurately described Creator God as wrapped in light. He is more glorious than all of His creation, the psalmist says. I trust today that you know Him personally in that beauty, in all of His glory. The psalmist continued, though, with day two of creation. Day one, God created light. Day two, our great God created the heavens. We see that in verses 2b through 4. It says, cover yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds His chariots. He rides on the wings, winds of the wind, wind. He makes His messengers winds, His ministers a flaming fire. So day two... God just stretched out the canvas over heaven, the tent over heaven. Now, if you're a camper, if you've been camping, you understand that, uh, that, that a tent, you stretch a tent out in order to protect something that's underneath it. I mean, a lot of times that's you. <laughs> you get in the tent so the elements around you are, 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 are blocked from you. The psalmist sees that picture, the canopy of God, the heaven being stretched out like a tent. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, 
And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. So the water vapor that made up the atmosphere above what we know as the earth, the lightning bolts that flashed across the sky, the thunders that crashed across the sky, reminded the psalmist of God's effortless yet ingenious creation. Everything in heaven demonstrates that God governs and controls everything to bring glory to himself. He covers the world with the clouds, the heavens, so that that we can magnify him. Now understand this. This earth didn't just happen. It wasn't just random chance. God spoke this world into, into creation, into existence. He spoke the heavens into creation. And God gave the psalmist a, a deep understanding of the purpose of the heavens without all the, the details of the scientific knowledge that we have today. How much more today should we be excited and drawn to worship the God of creation when we understand more about the atmosphere and the world that we live in than the psalmist even did. Everything he saw in the heavens drew him to that deep relationship that he had with Creator God. I trust you have that kind of relationship with God today. Can you get excited like the psalmist got excited about being drawn not only to the creation of God, but to the creator of the creation of God? Every time you look into the clouds, every time you see the the leaves blowing in the wind, every time you hear thunder or see lightning, Are you willing to let your thoughts be drawn into the life and relationship that you can have with Creator God? The psalmist had an awesome sense of who the Creator was as well as enjoying the creation. So today, you can join the psalmist. You can give glory to God by praising Him and by serving Him in what I call his heavenly playground. See, everything that was created by God was created for his pleasure. It was created to give glory to him, to give praise to him. And you can join in giving praise to our creator today as well. As the psalmist wrote this psalm, as he looked out over the canopy that God created for his pleasure. He not only observed the clouds and the wind and the thunder and the lightning, the fact that they were all part of God's creative design, but his soul was drawn to God himself, to know him personally, to give praise to him. And I trust today that you let the heavens draw you closer to a relationship with God that is, first of all, aware of Him, but also dependent on Him. Everything in the sky above points to the greatness of God, the psalmist says. Now, it's interesting that in verse 4, 
We find the writer of Hebrews, again in the New Testament, referring to this picture as the angels of God who share the truth of God. Now let me say something about angels here. We're not going to go way down this road. But you will never be an angel. (laughs) Angels are created beings set apart for a specific purpose to be messengers of God. You're a human being, and human beings don't turn into angels. That looks good in Hollywood, it looks good in movies, but it's just not the way it works. But the writer of Hebrews says that these angels of God were assigning this passage to the Savior of the world, to Jesus. Just as clouds carry life-sustaining water to the earth and thunder and lightning call attention to the skies, the messengers and ministers of God point to the one who is greater than all of creation. Points to Jesus. They celebrate Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world, we saw in verses 1 and 2. But Jesus is also, according to John chapter 7, Jesus is the water of life. And everything about the creation of the clouds, the creation of the function of the clouds to bring water to the earth, points toward Jesus as being the water of life. So he's the light of life, he's the water of life. The heavens above point us to Jesus. Just as the psalmist celebrated the awesomeness of the creation of God. We today can even go a step farther and and celebrate the creation of God in bringing Himself to flesh to live among us and provide for us what we desperately need, not just to be sustained, but to thrive here on this earth. And that is Jesus, the water of life. So day one our great God created light. Great two, day two, our great God created the heavens. Day three is drawn again from Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. Our great God created the earth. We see that in verses 5 through 18. Verse 5 says, He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. The psalmist had a a very special, clear understanding of the precision of the earth that God created. See, God created and established the earth. It can never be moved out of its orbit. It can never be tilted on the wrong angle. It is firmly established and always rotates in coordination with everything else that God created properly. Now, again, I'm not a scientist. No way am I a scientist. But I've I've read scientists who have stated the fact that if the earth or anything that God created in the celestial universe, anything that God created ever turns just a, a, a very little bit out of the position that it was created, everything in the universe just explodes and the psalmist was 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 so right when he said that will never happen God created the earth he placed the boundaries and the systems in place he put them exactly where they were 
and turn them into function exactly the way he did. And they will never, never, never be disintegrated. See, God provided structure and provision. His creation is orderly designed. And everything about what God created supports the life that we know it here on this earth. I want to throw a challenge at you in the next few minutes. I don't know how dramatic your mind is. But I want to invite you to just let your mind go to work here as we look at the psalmist's description of how God created everything with perfect order. Beginning with verse 6. The psalmist says, You covered it with the deep as with a garment, and the water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose and the valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, to the wild donkeys. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that they may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nest. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are refuge for the rock badgers. Do you see the genius of God's creation, how it unfolded. He spoke all of this into existence with his word. The psalmist was so excited about the great work that God created that he gave us a spoiler alert of what's to come in day five and day six of creation. But on day three, in God's genius, he made the earth. He made the earth and suited it for your life and for all of life. Provided a perfect place for all of His creation. So today, are you aware that you give glory to God by not only enjoying the earth that God created, but by taking care of the earth that God created? Uh, This was a command of God. Unfortunately, though, too many people get this out of order. Many people in our culture today worship the creation and forget about God. They're more concerned about the creation than they are about their souls being connected with Creator God. And Romans chapter 1 talks about the danger that's involved in Getting that out of order. Taking care of the earth 
is very different from worshiping God. Let me say that again. Taking care of the earth is very different from worshiping God. There's a big difference. You can get so caught up in taking care of the earth that you forget about the creator of heaven and earth. I don't want us to take either one lightly. Both are important. But worship creator God first and then take care of all that he created. That's the proper order. Taking care of the earth is not a political agenda. It's a human obedience agenda before God. God ordained that man should take care of the earth. Subdue it and take care of it. And so we are commanded to worship and to glorify God. That comes first. But then understand that a part of obeying this command is to respect and care for all of His creation. That brings us to day four. Our great God created the planets. We see that in verses 19 through 23. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to work and to his labor until evening. The point here is that God is a God of order. Everything that God created, He created with order. The moon pulls and releases the tides and marks off the seasons. The sun daily rises and sets at just the right time. Every planet, every star was made by God and put in the exact precise place that He put it. God created our perfect universe. Are you aware that the, the Hebrew calendar was a lunar calendar? Festivals and seasons and years were all marked by phases of the moon. Also, the Hebrew way of marking days was evening until morning. We see that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So the psalmist acknowledged that both the animal kingdom... And the kingdom of man were guided by God's perfect order. Lights, heavens, earth, planets. These were all part of the beginning of creation. And these have been sustained even to this day. They're rhythms to seasons, day and night and habits of animals and mankind. But these all set the stage for God, to be glorified and praised above all of His creation. The greatness of God is perfectly displayed in all of His creation. And I'm convinced that that's why God chose to put Psalm 104 in our scriptures. Psalm 104 celebrates our God of creation. 
C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was a great pastor of past generation. And here's what he said, and I quote about Psalm 104. He said, Psalm 104 gives an interpretation to the many voices of nature and sings sweetly both of creation and providence. Now, he's, pu- he's pushing toward not only just a, a general revelation, but a special revelation of God, a divine revelation of God, where God providentially has exposed himself, created a way in which we can truly know him and experience life with him. Spurgeon goes on and says, The poem contains a complete cosmos, sea and land, cloud and sunlight, plant and animal, light and darkness, life and death, are all proved to be expressive of the presence of the Lord. He had a great point. His point was you can look at all of creation and you can enjoy all of creation and you can even assign all of creation to Creator God. But don't miss the point. The point is you have to know God personally. You have to experience Him individually. Nobody can do that for you. You have to do that for yourself. You have a choice. You can either submit to God's order and allow that to pull you into praising Him, into magnifying His His glorious creation. And I want to encourage you to praise God who made heaven and earth and planets. But make sure today Make sure today that you know the light of the world. That you know Jesus. Because it's in knowing Jesus that you can come into that personal relationship with God that takes everything that God created and allows you to make sense out of it. We'll pick up there next week. But by way of application today, in everything, in everything, give glory and praise the creator to God. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that you give glory and praise to God in everything? Well, it matters because the world was made by God and everything he created was designed for you. I'm talking about you individually to give glory to God. And you can't do that without knowing him personally. See, my grandfather had no problem at all recognizing the God of all creation. But that's not why he's in heaven today. He could have sat out under the stars and recognized the glory of God and even looked at nature and everything that happened in his adventures with farming and hunting and being a mechanic. And none of that would have ushered him into heaven. One day, in about the third chapter of his life, though, somebody cared enough about him to share the gospel with him. Somebody cared enough about him to help him understand that he was a sinner. And that as much as he recognized and enjoyed the creation of God, he was going to hell. Until he came to the point in his life where he 
admitted that he was a sinner and confessed his sin before God and asked God to forgive him and then opened up the door for him to spend the rest of his life celebrating the God who created all of nature and created all the sky and the universe. That's why he's in heaven today, because he gave his life to Jesus, the light of the world. I trust and pray that that has happened to you today. I trust and pray that you are sure, you're sure that you're not only enjoying God's creation, enjoying God's life, but you personally know the God of creation through Jesus Christ. The light of the world, the water of the world, the God who became flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Would you bow your head with me? Today I want to challenge you. Make sure that you know Jesus and that you're making all of life about Jesus. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, won't you do that today? You've seen the creative hand of God around you. You've probably even acknowledged the fact that this world didn't just happen. It wasn't just a random chance that this world came into existence. But maybe you've never personally admitted that you were a sinner and confessed your sin before God accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior from your sin, accepted the sacrifice that he made for you so that you could have that personal relationship with Creator God. If you've never done that, just do that right now. Pray a prayer like this. Say, God, thank you for allowing me to live in your creation. Thank you for the beauty of your creation. God, today I want to admit my sin before you. I want to admit that I'm a sinner. And even though I don't understand everything about it, I thank you for coming to this earth and living a perfect life and becoming a sacrifice for the penalty of my sin. And today, I give my life to you. I trust you. And I want to spend the rest of my life living for you and giving glory to you in all of your creation. God, thank you for those who have prayed that prayer today. And for those of us who know you, I pray that we will continue to give glory to you as you continue to work in our life. May the celebration of our life be just like that of the writer of this psalm. Help us to give praise and glory to you with all of our lives. In Jesus' name.